Stay tuned now for the local coronavirus update. Bad news on my TV screen, bad news on the magazines, bad news on the newspaper, bad news on the elevator, bad news on the street, bad news on my car, bad news on my feet, bad news out of the bar. And good afternoon. This is Alicia Bales in the Ukiah studio with Dr. Drew Colfax. Hey, Drew. Hello, Alicia. I think we might have to change our theme song. Oh, well, because there's no longer bad news? Because we don't have solely bad news today. <laughs> we don't, in fact. We, um, we almost have, do we have, there's always bad news, but we have mostly good news. I'll find some gloom in there somewhere. I wondered. Okay, good. Can't wait to see how you pry it out. All right, this is the local coronavirus update. We are here for the hour. We have changed our schedule after one year of doing these reports multiple times a week. We are now uh, doing Mondays from 3 to 4 o'clock. So we'll have plenty of time for your phone calls. And that number here in the studio is 707-895-2448. 707-895-2448. But first, let's get the news. So locally, just to keep on our current and our ongoing um, We're good. System, Proceed. Um, <laughs> let's run the numbers for the county, which are trending sharply downward. Uh, we are now seeing fewer than seven cases a day on average. Um, our total case count is... 3,816. Our positivity rate, while still high by standards of controlling a pandemic, are is trending down. We're down down to 5.6% positivity, having hovered in the mid-7s seemingly forever. Um, and we are down to about 75 people total in isolation and quarantine in the county. Um, and the number that you know had us all concerned a year ago when we started this show, which is hospital utilization, that's entirely manageable. Six people hospitalized total in the county with COVID currently, with two in the ICU. So quite good. Um, finally trending the right direction. Um, and a lot of this is due to the vaccine rollout and you know the unfortunate large number of people who've actually had COVID in the county. So we're we're really actually trending to, toward not herd immunity numbers, but slowing pandemic spread numbers. Um, so while we're running numbers, um, the vaccine in the county is we're over 30,000 um, shots administered at this point. You know, Adventist has administered 13,500 um, or thereabouts. Uh, the county through the various health centers has administered 17,550 per their website. That doesn't include the vaccines that have come in through um, consolidated um, or through the pharmacies. So those numbers add up to say 30, 35,000 vaccines. That's a lot of people who have either partial or complete immunity. The case count of 3,800, I think we can safely multiply at least by two, perhaps by three. Um, so say 10,000 people have had COVID in this county, and suddenly we're looking at half the population that has immunity in this county. 
not the 75 or 85 percent that you need for total herd immunity, but it means that the virus has many fewer hosts to jump to. Uh, so definitely, could that be why we're seeing such a drop in the infection rates? Yeah, and we're also seeing you know fewer really sick people because we have vaccinated the highest risk populations at this point, which is to say people 75 and up almost entirely have been vaccinated at this point, although I'm sure I'll hear from some people who are still waiting for the phone call. We're trying to figure out um, how, right, yeah, exactly. In general, the vast majority of people 75 and up have been vaccinated, and we're rolling through the 65 to 75, or should I say the 65 and up? Yeah. Um, and, and the other group of people, too, the 16 to 64 with health conditions, right? Yeah, well, that's just breaking loose right now. Um, the county last week, I guess since our last show, um, released um, a press release stating that they were going to start vaccinating people with a certain qualifying risk health risk conditions, uh, which is reasonable, although it puts a lot of burden on the clinics to identify those people. Um, and that actually was supposed to roll out mid-March, but I think they just announced today that that's going to start immediately. Right. Um, and so clinics are compiling the list of their patients that have the qualifying conditions, so they'll get the call all the way down to the age of 16. And it seems like the infrastructure for the vaccine events, both the county and the hospital, they're getting pretty good at it. Oh, it's a well-oiled machine. <laughs> yeah, it's... Uh... And now that they're actually starting to get some numbers of vaccines, they're starting to roll through. We are still limited. I mean, we could give we could get everybody vaccinated in this county in two weeks. I think we have the resources and the expertise at this point. We just don't still have the vaccine, but it keeps coming in um, in a fairly steady fashion. So it's it's looking up. Dare yeah, I say it? It seems like we're still at the point where the people who we haven't gotten through all the people who really want a vaccine yet, but it seems like we're going to get to a point where all of those people have been vaccinated and then you're going to have kind of a sizable chunk of people who don't really want it. Yeah, that's going to remain an ongoing problem because if we have too many people that don't want it and thus don't get it, then we're going to be stuck with this pandemic for much longer. <laughs> um, and so there's going to be a continued sort of push to try to get as many people persuaded to get the vaccine so we can all get through this um and you know reaching out to the vaccine hesitant or the sort of disconnected upon this is going to be a huge public health push in the coming months right now there's really not enough supply so we can simply vaccinate the low-hanging fruit if right. you will <laughs> um, but you know at some point we're going to need to try to reach the at least a substantial fraction of the people who might be vaccine hesitant yeah well and then there's people like me who really want to do it but am i ever going to qualify i don't know you I, I not mean... actually public radio hosts <laughs> we're like we're in a little room off to the side yeah. tier 205 <laughs> uh but but you know there are people i know a handful of people like myself who seem to watch everybody around us are you in that boat listener <laughs> are you are you like me like everybody seems to be getting vaccinated but you know i'm just waiting my turn and we'll, we'll get there at some point yes. yes so the other thing the other news is the johnson and johnson vaccine is supposed to be like on its way it's being shipped um a, you know maybe a month later than i had predicted back in the fall but got approval uh friday night saturday morning i forget it's a blur um and and is being transported probably as we speak lower numbers of doses immediately available this is going to really be a game changer i mean it's it's a one-shot vaccine it's much more stable it's not just a game changer nationally but it's going to be the one um along with the 
the AstraZeneca vaccine, which we don't have approved in this country, um, that's going to likely make the worldwide difference. Um, this is much easier to deploy, uh, particularly in developing countries, and it and it works. You know, the numbers might seem like they're not as good um, because the clinical trial was set up to test for a single dose vaccine. Um, but I imagine it's about the same if uh, Pfizer or Moderna were tested as a single dose vaccine. So it's, right, and it's a great vaccine and it's coming this way. Yeah, and it only needs to be refrigerated and you only have to get one shot. So for places where the logistics are more challenging, they can they can get vaccinated. Yes, or for populations that are harder to get back in for a second dose, it still prevents severe disease um, and death, as well as the, you know, the Pfizer and the Moderna. And they're and Johnson and Johnson is also conducting an ongoing study to see uh, the response to a second shot. So it might become a booster oh, shot um, type of vaccine. Um, which would then allow perhaps for some modification to account for some of these new variants that we're seeing. Can you um, can you simply describe the difference between the Pfizer Moderna being the R M R N A and the whatever it is that the Johnson and Johnson one is? Yeah. So the the Pfizer and the Moderna are basically the same, um, at least the same methodology. They're both mRNA vaccines. So there's synthesized mRNA that's injected into our cell, which codes for our cells protein manufacturing uh, to make a protein that imitates or is structurally the same as the coronavirus shell. And thus, our bodies can identify that protein and develop an immune response. The Johnson & Johnson vaccine is uses an adenovirus, an attenuated or deactivated adenovirus. And adenovirus is um, a part of a family of viruses that cause, for example, the common cold. It's a fairly large virus family. They're generally not harmful. And this uses a deactivated adenovirus that has been modified and then injected into the body um, to basically then trigger um, production of antigens that mimic the covid um, outer shell again okay so it's kind of like a a, a a hybrid where they take a piece of something that will trick the body into creating an immune response to covid but they stick it into a, a into sort of a, harmless into a dead virus. virus yes right but it's not the common cold virus it's just in the family that the common cold virus is correct in. and it won't give you the common cold <laughs> um so let's be clear about that and neither of these contain you know inact inactivated or partially act deactivated um covid virus um or i should now say none of these since we're more than two yeah so it's just a host yes okay yep. got it thank you um last thing before we open up the phone lines or start to answer our many email questions that we've got on the dock today um is let's run down some of the vaccination events that are happening in the county that we know of so things are getting a little bit more regular for adventist health for the hospital before we get into yeah. the events let's talk about the the medical conditions oh, good call. Um, because that's going to affect a lot of listeners so yes. the county um last week i alluded to is now going to start vaccinating or authorizing the vaccination of people with chronic medical conditions uh, which would make people at higher risk of doing poorly if they get covid those conditions are um cancer um, ongoing cancer or some sort of cancer that leads to chronic immune suppression, um, chronic kidney disease, so fairly advanced chronic kidney disease, stage four, you don't need to be on dialysis yet, but you need to have fairly high degree of chronic kidney disease, 
um, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease requiring supplemental oxygen. And interestingly, though the county is vaccinating those people, one would expect, I would have expected, and a lot of pulmonologists expected people with this condition to do very poorly. They actually don't do as poorly as we expected um, for reasons that are completely unclear. You'd think if you have a chronic lung disease, you do really badly with what is primarily a pulmonary type of infection, but that's not quite the case. Um, solid organ transplant patients um, who are immune suppressed, so that certainly makes sense. Sickle cell disease patients, and I don't think we have a lot in this county. I've actually, I don't think I've ever seen a sickle cell disease patient in this county, but if there are any out there, definitely get your vaccine. Go get your shot. Um, people with congestive heart failure con um, or coronary disease, um, hypertension does not qualify yet. Um, obesity with a body mass index greater than 40. Um, diabetes with an A1C greater than 7.5, and, and that's both type 1 or type 2. Pregnancy, um, or anybody with disabilities who could do poorly or place a undue burden on caregivers. So we're talking about um, people, for example, with uh, Down syndrome or other congenital disabilities such as that. Okay, well, that's a huge group of people. It is. It is. And in fact, it's so big, it's not really super clear whether winnowing through the patient population to find those people versus just throwing it open to everybody 16 and up is going to make a big difference. But I certainly understand the impulse to try to get these people in ahead of, say, a healthy 20-year-old. Um, but you know, a lot of healthy 20-year-olds are also getting vaccinated right now because they are essential workers. Um, and so it's you know, it's 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 an interesting approach, um, but the clinics are, you know, moving forward on it. Moving along, yes. yep, definitely, and and actually doing an amazing job. I mean, yeah, it's it's phenomenal to see what the effort that's going on across this county every single day. So, all right, shall I read the go for it the vaccine events? Um, all right, so Public Health is hosting two first dose clinics. Uh, for I guess for all of these folks that we just talked about, including 75 and up, 65 and up, uh, teachers, um, all of the the new um, people that were announced last week, loggers, ag workers, food workers. I guess I should read the list, but I'm just doing it from memory because we've said it so many times. Okay, uh, so that's two first dose clinics, and that's Monday today. It was from 9 to 3. And Wednesday, March 3rd. And both are located at the Redwood Empire Fairgrounds in Ukiah. And you can sign up for either of these events at the county's vaccine portal on their website at mendocinocounty.org. It's pretty easy to find and pretty simple form to fill out. But if you don't have access to the Internet, you can also make appointments by calling the COVID-19 call center at 472 2663 Four seven two two six six three, or four seven two two seven five nine four seven two two seven five nine, and they can make an appointment for you. So those are two. They're both in Ukiah. Adventist is holding a mass vaccination clinic on Wednesday, March third, at the Alex Rohrbaugh Center at the Grace Hudson School in Ukiah, um, and they are prioritizing phase one A in all tiers and uh, phase one B including those over 75 emergency medical personnel, school and childcare staff, food and agricultural workers, including people directly involved in growing, harvesting, production, preparing, selling, cooking, and serving food products, as well as cannabis and lumber. 
Uh, they'll also accept persons age 65 and older and those turning 65 this year. Uh, so, And you can make an appointment on their Sign Up Genius, which you can find at their Facebook page for Adventist Health. Um, when I talked with them on Friday live for the coronavirus update at, from 3.30 to 4, they talked about making these events regular. So an every Wednesday vaccine event at the Alex Rohrbach Center, an every Thursday event on the coast at the CB Star Center, and an every Sunday event at Willits High School, but that one is still tentative. So I expect that for Coasties, um, that there is going to be an event at the CB Star on the coast this Thursday, but it just has not been confirmed yet. Um, so this is a first dose appointment at the Alex Rohrbaugh Center on, on Wednesday. And, uh, so if you've already had a first dose, you shouldn't make an appointment. Uh, if you're getting, if you're scheduled to get your second dose from Adventist Health, plan on coming to your appointment as you were instructed and there's no need to do anything else. Um, all right. Mendocino Coast Clinics has 300 first dose vaccines that they're going to administer the week of March 1st through 5th. So that's this week. They're inviting community members who are in the approved tiers to call them to make an appointment. You can do that at 964. 964- one two five one. That's Mendocino Coast Clinics at nine six four one two five one. If uh, if they run out of slots, they'll put you on the wait list. And they are scheduling drive-through events with twenty five people every fifteen minutes. So that you'll come to the venue, you'll drive to registration, they'll verify your name and date of birth. And if you're not a patient of Mendocino Coast Clinics, they'll gather a little more information from you, but it's still okay. And the car then proceeds to the vaccine station. You get your shot, and then you hang out for fifteen minutes in your in your car and people will be walking up and down to check in on you to make sure that you aren't having a a reaction so that is happening at mendocino coast clinics this week and they want you to remember that uh, you'll need to commit to the second dose when you make your first appointment either 21 days later for pfizer or 28 days later for moderna that's what i know (laughs) i i work a vaccine drive-through clinic and i have to say those are a very good way to do it. It's very efficient. People aren't having to mingle or go inside. So they work quite well. And nobody had a reaction? No. That's great. Yeah. So you, your arm doesn't hurt so much you can't drive afterwards. You, you're just fine. Yeah. All right. Well, that's all the info we have, I think, right? Anything else, Drew? I think so. I mean, the numbers, I didn't get into the numbers statewide or nationally, but they are actually trending uh, in the same way. So California is looking much, much better um, in general. Um, And then nationally, things are also improving. We've kind of hit a plateau nationally at around 50,000 cases a day. So it's, it's still a pretty high plateau compared to pandemic standards of say the summer um but it's much better than where we were um certainly six weeks ago and i think we'll probably stay at that kind of levels for the for the month i I don't i don't anticipate seeing a lot of movement you don't think that as the vaccine rollout increases that we're going to see that curve dipping lower yeah i think it's going to be offset by some of these strains that are more contagious okay so there we go so that we'll leave our optimism there we'll we'll plateau our optimism I mean, I have a brand I need to protect. I mean, it's true that if you think about how we were before the first surge, we were way lower than this. Like, we were shocked when we got up to 50,000 cases a day. 50,000 was a big number back in, say, July, certainly. Um, And then back even in September, it was a big number again. So, you know, we had that peak in late July and early August, um, but 50,000 even compared to that surge is, is still a pretty big number. Right. And, you know, we have a lot of questions about um, whether or not 
you can hang out with people once you've been vaccinated. And I feel it. I feel that like people are chomping at the bit. We're ready to go back to normal, but we're well, still understandably. Yeah, it's, we're still it's been a year to go. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So let's um, I'll put out the phone number one more time. We're going to open up the phone lines. It's 707-895-2448. That's 707-895-2448. Uh, but we've also got a few emails. So before the phone starts ringing, we shall uh, go ahead and answer some of these emails. Sure. So there's an emailed question, do I recommend double masking? Um, and yes, uh, with a caveat being it just does add to one's discomfort. Um, I am speaking right now with a single surgical mask on, and that's pretty much my go-to mask unless I'm in a slightly higher risk exposure area. But if you're not yet vaccinated or if you really are wanting to be, um, you know, a an overachiever um then double mask by all st- by all means um the cdc recommends it um but you know they've been also recommending masking for quite some time as well and we're still actually i think we're pretty good in this county on masking at this point there seems yeah. to be general uptake finally simple non-mechanical protection there yes. that helps yes. non-medical intervention yes. hey caller you're live on the air yeah uh, am i live on the air you are indeed excellent thank you alicia so I have two questions. Uh, one has to do with the Mountain View infection. Uh, could you explain how it happened that uh, so many people had their first shot and they still got in, uh, tested positive and two people died? And Mountain View. I never had an explanation. I've never read or heard one. So I'm hoping that you can explain that. And the other question is, you just touched on it, but I just want to hear it again. Uh, my wife and I have both been, uh, had a two shots. Uh, and if we get together with friends who also have had two shots and we're at the peak of our uh, uh, invincibility, uh, can we get How safe is it to get together? And that's my question, and I'll take my answer on the air. Thanks. Okay, so part one, the Mountain View. I think he is asking about Mountain View. Yes. It's a little bit distorted there. Yep. Um, so, yes, I mean, keep in mind um, that this vaccine is not 100% effective, right? It's it's 95% effective or thereabouts, um, and the efficacy might be slightly less in the more elderly, which is who lives at Mountain View. I also am not sure that the people who got COVID and succumbed to COVID had been fully vaccinated um, prior to their getting uh, the infection. And so I think they had received a shot, um, but not the second one, and certainly not the six-week lag time that you need after your first with the booster uh, before you reach your maximal immunity. Now, note I'm saying maximal immunity because it's not complete or full immunity. It's it's not going to necessarily absolutely prevent you from getting the illness. What it does generally do, um, and the data continues to bear this out, um, is prevent severe illness. But unfortunately, these two souls got COVID before um, they had reached their maximal immunity, which probably would have prevented a severe illness, and certainly we can expect would have prevented their dying from it. Um, so that's that's what happened there, um, to the best of my knowledge. Um, it's. It's also interesting, now that I'm talking about immunity, uh, we still don't have data um, as to whether these two vaccines, and the J&J one we obviously don't have any data on at all yet on, um, offer any degree of what we call sterilizing immunity. Um, most vaccines 
don't give you sterilizing immunity, which is to say it prevents you from harboring the virus or transmitting it. That's the big question. And that actually segues us directly to your next question, um, which is what's the risk of my transmitting the virus to one another if we have had both of our shots and we're two weeks after our second booster? We don't really know that yet. Uh, the gestalt um, in our experience with other vaccines and what we're seeing with the data on these two is that it's not going to be impossible for us to transmit COVID once we have two shots, but the the incidence is going to be markedly decreased. Uh, we just don't have that number yet. It's something of intense interest to all of us, um, and it's under intense scrutiny, but that data hasn't yet been published, or I certainly haven't seen it. Um, so that's that's really the question, right? So if, you're, if you want to get together with other people, um, and the other people have all been fully vaccinated, what's the risk of your having COVID, not being symptomatic, transmitting it to them, they're getting COVID and becoming symptomatic in some clinically significant way. That's what you want to avoid having happen, right? We don't know, honestly, we don't know. I think it's quite low. I think it's certainly much lower than the risk of, for example, transmitting flu to um, friends during flu season, and they're doing quite poorly from flu. You know, we see 10,000 deaths a year from flu on average in this country. That is spread from person to person. But, you know, in a country where we've had 500,000 deaths, it's really hard to start making presumptions about transmissibility. I think it's going to be quite low, the risk. Um, it's just not yet proven. And so I would suggest that people have a discussion about their risk benefit um, of trying to get together. And the risks are quite low. The benefits might be quite high. Um, but maybe just decide to wait another month or two. It's already been 12. Go for 14. Mm -hmm. I am not addressing um, the state order, which says you're not supposed to get together with other people. That's, you know, that's the order where tier one, we should not be commingling indoors um, by public health directive. So that's, that's kind of where things stand. Um, the order is quite clear. That is a public policy decision, which I think is reasonable because we don't have the data yet and we really want to prevent further transmission. And we do still have new cases every day and we still are at a five point but 6% positivity rate. Yep. All right. That's not the answer anybody wants to hear, but that's well, reality, right? You know, the reality is it's it's a discussion to be had, right? Um, and maybe you make a compromise and you get together outdoors still and you don't be quite as careful about masking or you allow hugging or whatever. But, um, you know, there, there are options that can be discussed. And the other question is, of course, how much is your risk of doing poorly if you have COVID? If you're a very high risk individual, even if you're fully vaccinated, you might want to wait a little while still until the numbers drop further. <clears throat> All right, let's see if that caller held on. Caller, are you still there? Hello, caller? Yes. All right, thank you for being patient. Yes. Yeah. <clears throat> so my question is, when might, might we expect the Johnson & Johnson vaccine to be available in this county? I'm so allergic to so many medicines that, um, I, and I've just had major surgery. I just don't want to put, I'm isolating rather than put my body through a possible allergic reaction. 
Yeah, I, the, the Johnson and Johnson. I think. I mean, I, I am obviously not privy to where the vaccine is in the supply chain. Um, I anticipate it probably it will not reach this county this week, but it very well we very well may may start seeing doses arriving um, toward the latter half of next week. I don't know how many. Uh, and, and, and you think that I can sign up for for a specific one if I'm a particularly allergic person? That's yeah. That's a question you would have to have with um, the clinic or wherever you're going to sign up. I, the county has not yet developed a system, and the health centers haven't either in terms of electing one vaccine over the other. And it hasn't really been an issue because the Moderna and the Pfizer have been essentially interchangeable. Um, but the J and J may you know prompt some clinics to have a differential sign-up process that hasn't yet happened it may be in development um but it may also be something that we don't really address given everything else until the vaccine starts to arrive but i'm curious i'm, I'm okay. not sure i'm not sure that i would recommend um the j and j over the um moderna or pfizer even if you've had a lot of allergies it's it's not you know it's not necessarily um going to have a less of a side effect um, profile than the the two that we currently have you know there is you know this very rare incidence of anaphylactic reaction um, which believe it or not is fairly readily managed um, and so you know the the safety profile I think ultimately on the J and J is going to prove to be quite similar to what we've seen with these two vaccines okay thank you very much You're welcome. Right. thank you so and about the J&J vaccine, just in terms of the logistics, clinics can just keep it in their fridge, right? They don't have to have events. Correct. Because it doesn't, they don't have to do this whole thawing Correct. routine. Correct. So yes. it might and be. And I don't know how many doses are in a vial. That would be one issue. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a much more readily deployed and distributed vaccine, which is really what you need. And that's, you know, that's why, you know, that's why this is going to be so, so significant. All right, let's take our next call. Oh, just remind everybody, this is the local coronavirus update. I'm Alicia Bales in the studio with Dr. Drew Colfax, and we are going to go until 3.59, up until Democracy Now! So you can call in 707-895-2448. That's 895-2448. Hey, caller, you're live on the air. Uh, uh, that must be me. That is you. Well, that's fantastic. Well, Dr. Dredd and you... You have done an awesome uh, a year of informing the public of the status of, of statistics. Of and, uh, to start with, thank you very much well, to thank the you. both of you. It's been it's been quite a year, but thank you. Yeah, and. Uh, well, I have a question. I'm tr I'm trying to get uh, set up uh, for my initial uh, vaccine, and I'm and I I just filed in, but I, I, I I'm having difficulty. Anyway, it's a serious question of uh, by getting the vaccine, do you uh, uh, does that ensure that you're not going to uh, transmit it was my first question. Uh, well, and the other was uh, with this uh, incurrence of uh, new um, uh, 
anomalies uh, that will we require a, a yearly vaccine for the you know different you know is that what the the, the future will bring is this uh, fear of the, the different hybrids or we're going to have to get a different vaccine every year for a different virus and I'll take my answer off here again. Muchos gracias for all your work. You're welcome. So your first question in terms of vaccine transmission, once you are uh, vaccinated, the, uh, as I was saying earlier, um, the the data on that is just not there yet. Um, we we suspect, I suspect, and a lot of most healthcare providers or uh, people who look into this and study and think about this quite a bit, um, suspect that we're going to have some people who are going to be asymptomatic or even very mildly symptomatic and are capable of transmitting the virus even if they're fully vaccinated. But the incidence of that is going to be quite low. We're talking about probably to give a number, maybe an 85 to 90 percent reduction um, in the in the number of people that we're seeing who are transmitting the virus once we get to um you know once they are once they are vaccinated but we just don't have that data yet that is something that is being collected um and as for your second question regarding the booster for these new strains of this same virus to be certain this is the same SARS-CoV-19 virus it's just mutating because it has you know so many opportunities to change if you have you know 30 million people in this country um contracting it um I suspect we are going to have a booster, uh, whether it comes in the fall or sometime next winter. I don't know yet, but I imagine that as we see slightly different um, viral structure and coding that allows it to do an end run around some of our immune responses to the initial strains, that we're going to need a booster. And that might happen um, quicker than we think. Um, the particularly the Moderna and the Pfizer vaccines are very nimble. They can be changed um, very quickly. Um, and the CDC has already said that they are going to streamline the approval process for um, the tweaking of the mRNA that codes for um, the protein that triggers the immune response that we need. So stay tuned. That's going to be something that's probably going to start breaking sometime early summer, I suspect we'll have more sense as to where we're headed there. Did you see that article about how now they're looking at mRNA for malaria? Yeah. Yeah, then that, that would be a game changer. Super global game yeah. changer. We could do a local malaria um, show, but, you know, fortunately we don't have that. We don't really, I mean, we've got mosquitoes, but we don't really have, do we? <laughs> no. Okay, good. No, no malaria. Yeah. Something else to be worried about. Yeah. All right, let's take another call. Hey, caller, you're live on the air. You still there? I talked him into the ground. Caller, are you there? Okay, let's take our next call. Uh, we do have an email. So um, this is an email with a question. Do you know if the category for agricultural workers include people working for landscaping companies? She says she realized these people do not grow food, but neither do timber or cannabis workers. So she's asking. That's a good question. Yeah. I I don't think so, actually. Um but I, I don't want to say that definitively, but I, I don't think that landscape workers are part of the tier, the employment qualifying tier um, as defined by the county as of yet. 
Right. What the it's what Adventists explicitly there. Right. Adventists said to people directly involved in growing, harvesting, production, preparing, selling, cooking, and serving food products, as well as cannabis and lumber. Yes. So okay, let's take let's yeah, take our next call. But fortunately, you know, on on the flip side, um, you know. Landscape workers are generally outside. Um, the the risk, of course, is getting to and from the site of the work. Exactly. Oop. Lost them too. Okay, callers, when you call, I I may pick you up, pick pick up the line, and and let you stay there for a second, and you'll hear what's going on in the air. So just be patient, and we will definitely get to you. Let's take our next caller. Hello, caller. You're live on the air. Hi. Hi. Go ahead. Um, I'm life. listening to my radio, I guess. Um, I want to know about hearing the word anaphylactic and um, if an allergic reaction would be uh, shortness of breath. It can be, but to be clear, um, the anaphylactic reactions that we have seen from these vaccines occur within minutes of vaccine administration, which is why um, we have people wait either 15 or 30 minutes um, after the administration of the vaccine. So it would be something that you would experience quite shortly after getting the vaccine. And there are healthcare providers who are standing by to assess anybody who may be having a reaction. Oh, thank you. That's very reassuring. Yeah, and, and I appreciate all your work. I've, I've been called so to car side to assess people who may or may not have been having reactions um, several times now at vaccine events, and none of them so far have been having a serious anaphylactic reaction. Some people just oh, get very anxious, um, and when you get anxious, you tend to get short of breath. Um, and so right. it's it's pretty easy for a medical provider to differentiate those two. Um, it will probably buy you a prolonged period of observation, which is fine, um, but hopefully not a dose of epinephrine, which we have at each and every one of these vaccine events. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate all your work. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Okay. That was the same experience I had when I got my flu shot this year. They had me sit in the parking lot for 15 minutes just to make sure I didn't have a re reaction to it. Interesting. Yeah. Have you not heard of that? No. That, yeah, I have. It's just not always... <laughs> I just get my flu shot when I'm at work. Somebody comes up and jabs me in the arm and they don't even ask anymore. Since you really, they no, just cut yes. like needles out. There's paperwork. There must be paperwork. Yeah, <laughs> that's a, a brave new world. Yeah. So I do have another email question. Um, I, it's actually a two-parter, and one part was about getting together with people fully vaccinated, and I think I've kind of spoken to that. Um, but the second part was, what would be the risk if you added a baby to that mix? Um, Boy, that's a fraught question. Um, nobody wants to make a recommendation to see a baby get sick. However, uh, we really haven't seen very many children at all um, contracting this virus or certainly getting sick from it. It's not totally without um, precedent, but the risks are pretty low. The greater concern I have, particularly as a healthcare provider that sees very, very sick children on occasion, is getting together at all with a baby that's under 28 days, because even a cold um, can be very hard to distinguish from a severe illness in a baby that's small. So part of the analysis would have to be, how old is the baby? Um, and then, you know, it would be a question of, of, of relative comfort, obviously. But I would I would not introduce a baby into this mix currently while we are in tier one. I would let it slide a little longer. Or at least keep the baby outside at 
several arm's lengths. I understand grandparents want to see babies right. when they are very, very small. Um, but it might be something that you just kind of keep a little distant for right now. All right. Let's take our next call. Hey, caller. You're live on the air. Uh, hi. I have a question about uh, you mentioned there was going to be some vaccinations on the on the coast by the Mendocino Coast Clinic, I think, this week. Yes. And what days are those? They have not announced the days. They're asking people to call and make an appointment. Oh, okay. But they... They will be this week? This week between March 1st and 5th. Okay, by the Mendocino Coast Clinic. You got it. And you don't have and to be a, a, a patient of theirs to sign up. You don't? No. Oh, and you can and you can call them. Okay, and yeah. make an appointment? You got it. And the number is 964-1251. Okay, thanks very much. All right, thanks and for thank the call. thank you for all the work you guys do. Thank you. Bye-bye. Right. Bye-bye. Great. Uh, 895-2448 is the number here in the studio. People are calling, Drew. <laughs> With this new hour-long format. He was he was worried that we wouldn't have enough to say and we would have to head on back to Philo or something. But nope, people are calling, so let's take our next call. Good afternoon, caller. You're live on the air. Hi, I have a question, of course. That's why I'm calling. Um, after you've had your second shot, I need to know what the minimum number of days is that I should wait before traveling in my car to, say, someplace like Harris Ranch overnight. Okay, so I'm not sure what Harris Ranch is, but I'm not sure that matters. Well, it's, it's, a, it's a hotel, you okay, know. Okay, it's, okay, okay. So, yeah, it, it, and again, it, uh, everything is, is, is relative. I mean, right now we're still in Tier 1, to be sure. Um, your immunity is going to be maximal, you know, perhaps seven days after your second shot. Um, I would, I would give it 10, frankly. That's what I tell people just so you have a margin of error. Um, so at that point, your risk of contracting COVID, um, and getting sick from it is reduced by 95%, right? So we're in a county right now where, you know, six people a day are getting COVID. Um, and, you know, 6% of the tests or thereabouts are positive. So it's, you know, it's still here, it's still amongst us, and it will almost certainly be wherever you travel in Northern California. Going to a hotel is not a particularly high-risk activity, unless you're going to be gathering in the ballroom for a wedding of 500 people, um, which, you know, is obviously not permitted yet and should not be permitted for quite some time, unfortunately. But that's... that along, along with my cat. Yes, exactly. So, yeah, I, I think that would be a very low-risk activity um, 10 days after your booster shot. Okay. Thank you so much. You're welcome. All right. Thanks for the call. We have a, another email question. Uh, interesting question. Would you please speak about COVID long haulers who are experiencing improved symptoms after being vaccinated? Why would this be happening? Is it resetting one's immune system? What does that mean? Yeah, that that it, COVID sort of long COVID is is really poorly understood at this point. I mean, and could we, you define it? Yeah. I, I'm not sure if there's a formal definition as of yet. I haven't seen one uh, uniformly adopted. But in general, it's um, it's the small um, subset of people who have had a an acute symptomatic phase of COVID um, with prolonged 
sometimes vague, sometimes quite debilitating symptoms, which can range from persistent chest pain, persistent shortness of breath, persistent overwhelming fatigue, persistent body aches. Um, the, the list is quite long, and the symptoms, I mean, so far the 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 long is really 12 months. Uh, we don't have more data on you know whether it's going to last even longer yet. But some of the people who got acutely sick, particularly in uh, New York or on the East Coast during that big surge late in March, um, are still experiencing symptoms. Um, it's a it's a small fraction to be sure, um, but it's going to it's going to have a significant impact on healthcare in this country because these are people, some people are so debilitated they can't return to work. Um, they can't you know, engage in a lot of the daily activities that defined and gave meaning to uh, their lives in a way that's gonna be fairly tragic, frankly. Um, and so why they get better or why their symptoms improve after the um, vaccine is not yet clearly understood either. I mean, this is a very sort of vague, um, vaguely understood um, syndrome, if you will. Um, and that response has not yet really been fully elucidated either. I suspect it's because the induced immunity from these vaccines is better than the um, natural immunity um, that you get from COVID, which is why we recommend that even if you have had COVID, you should get vaccinated. Um, and I suspect that the induced immunity from these vaccines is somehow triggering certain components of our immune system, perhaps clearing out some residual virus that's causing the, low, the long COVID. We don't really know if people are still harboring some residual virus in their system um, that is causing the, the long COVID, if you will. But that may be a, plausible, a biologically plausible explanation as to why some people improve. It's also not clear, however, um, what sort of percentage um, of people do improve with, with the vaccine. Um, it, it's certainly not universal from what we've seen. A lot of open questions still around this, and you know, we probably won't have a great sense of where things stand for up to a year at this point. All right. Thanks for the question. But boy, long COVID is a really good reason not to get COVID. It's just for, like you get COVID and then it never goes away. Well, the acute phase does. So the you know the fevers and uh -huh. chills and the acute illness resolves partially um, or maybe even completely. But then you still have residual effects from it. One of them is a pretty severe brain fog as well, right? Correct. Yes. Yes. All right. Let's take our next call. Hey, caller, you're live on the air. Thanks for waiting. Hi, is that me? That's you. Thanks for waiting. Okay. Um, my question involves, should you get a vaccine while you're pregnant? I have a niece who's six weeks pregnant, and she's trying to figure out, should she get vaccinated? If that's a yes, should it be at her first trimester or not? Her second trimester? What's your, what's your take on that? Yeah, so that that's a really good question, and and first off, it's it's obviously a very personal and difficult decision, I think, for most um, pregnant women. The ACOG, so the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology, uh, recommends vaccination, um, and the CDC recommends vaccination as well. 
the reason for the recommendation is that we know that pregnant women are at increased risk of more severe COVID. Um, and you know, obviously, if you get severely sick during your pregnancy, your risk of having a miscarriage goes up and it can cause additional problems. The reason for hesitancy is that these vaccines uh, weren't studied in pregnant patients. Um, and so there's really no formal clinical trial showing that they are safe. We can presume that they are effective, um, but we really don't have the data showing that they are safe to a very high degree of certainty. We have had, however, a natural experiment in this, in this country because there have been, at this point, I estimate you know, hundreds of thousands um, or perhaps tens of thousands of women who have been vaccinated, um, pregnant women who have been vaccinated and have not had any um, adverse event from the vaccine. There's also not really any biologically plausible mechanism for these two vaccines to lead to an adverse event. It's not, um, it, there, there's just not a way that one can conceive of how this vaccine and triggering an immune response is going to affect one's pregnancy. I know several women who are pregnant um, in healthcare and they have elected and opted to get vaccinated. But it's a fraught decision, to be sure, and it's one that your niece should have with her OBGYN. I personally would probably recommend that you wait till second trimester after all of the essential structures are built and before your immune suppression or the pregnant woman's immune suppression becomes significant with the pregnancy. Yeah, I think that's what her healthcare worker said. Since she's six weeks, she's almost at the end of her first trimester that maybe she should think about uh, waiting until the second trimester, but that it's a very personal decision. But she's worried about the effect on the baby. Yeah, I, I, I don't, you know, we're, we're not seeing any evidence of it having an effect on the baby. Um, and, you know, the, the upside, you know, even though infants don't tend to get COVID or get sick from COVID, um, the upside is, is if she gets immunized while pregnant, then that immunity will be, um, passed to her baby as well. So this would be a baby born with some immunity um, induced by the vaccine, which would be you know beneficial, obviously. And I think your your first point was good. That the mother is asthmatic, so if she got sick, it wouldn't be a really good thing. No, and that that would certainly augur for her getting uh, the vaccine during the pregnancy. Great. Well, thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. All right. Thanks for the call. We have had some follow-up on the question about landscaping, uh, people who work in landscaping being eligible for the vaccine. And the answer that I am getting is that, yes, they are, that um, volunteers who have been coordinating particularly Latino uh folks in our community to get vaccinated say, yes, they've arranged for landscape folks to get their shots. So. Yeah. Let's not have that be an obstacle. Yeah. Um, let's take our and next again, call. Yeah, it's, it's almost time to just throw it open. <laughs> yeah, right. We're getting to that point. <laughs> There'll just be three of us left at the sideline going, hey, we'll, we'll, we'll wait. It's cool. Um, hey, caller, you're live on the air. Oh, right now? Yet yeah, it is you. Surprise. <laughs> oh, great. Okay. Um, okay. Um, my husband is in the hospital right now, very ill um, with, we think, leukemia. And, um, and I just broke my hip. And my son, who's 42 years old, is our caregiver. 
is there a vaccine for caregivers? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I there is. I, I my understanding, and I think that would uh, behoove your son to check with local clinic. My understanding is you have to care for more than one people, which it sounds like your son does. Um, and so I, I think that would qualify him as a caregiver to get to get on the list. Okay. Um, so. Um, Yay. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, so, do you have another question? Call the clinic. Should I call? I'm sorry. Should I call the clinic then? Um, um, in, uh, Fort Bragg. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I would uh, either. You, you mean call the clinic on behalf of your son? Yes. Yeah, I, I I would call, or he can call, but he should definitely check with them to see if that would qualify him as a. You know, as a as a home health aide, essentially, um, taking care of more than two people. That I think, particularly since it is two or more, um, should qualify him. But you know, I, each one of these health centers has slightly different sort of metrics that they're using. Um, so yes, I would reach out to Fort Bragg um, and see if he can get in and get get the shot. You know, even this week. And when when are they when are they giving shots? Uh, the, uh, it's not scheduled. They didn't put out a date that they're doing it, but they did call. They did ask people to call them and make appointments. So that is at nine six four, one two five one, and it's this week. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. Great. Thanks for the call. Thank you very much. All right. We've got about five minutes left, so time for one more call. <laughs> the marathon coronavirus update. Uh, so it's 895-2448. And let's take our last caller. Hey, caller, you live on the air. Yes, thank you. Um, I have a question that is the opposite of the question that you had before about COVID long haul. Well, then I'll give you the opposite answer. Okay, well, so this is, this is a person who had COVID last March, had long haul symptoms all year until early January of this year. Uh, started to feel okay, got the first vaccine, and all the long-haul symptoms came back. Should this person get the second vaccine? Yes, the person should still get the second vaccine. Um, you know, it, it, again, and it, unfortunately, my answer, even though it's the opposite experience, um, is going to be very similar to my previous answer, which is to say this really is not yet well understood. Um, it's unfortunate um to say the least that the symptoms came back with the with the first dose of the of the vaccine i suspect without you know seeing uh the patient or really having a good biological handle on long-haul covid um that it had to do with the triggering of his immune response um to uh, to the vaccine. And I also suspect that he will have less of a reaction to the second uh, vaccine. Now, naive people tend to have more of a reaction to the second vaccine than the first. But in somebody who's already had COVID and thus has some degree of natural immunity, uh, we are seeing that their response tends to be less um, or, or more unpleasant, um, higher degree of effect or side effects from the first vaccine than the second, um, because you already have an immune response. And so the first shot for non-naive people is really acting as a booster shot um, to the actual natural immunity that, that this individual may have. So get the shot, get fully immune, get full induced immunity. Um, but 
I would predict um, with you know a moderately high degree of certainty that his response to the second um, vaccine is going to be less. Oh, that would be good. Are there any do's and don'ts around surrounding getting the vaccines, like things to do or not to do before or after? Not really. I mean, I, I tell people to take, you know, Tylenol. Um, certainly, you know, that's completely safe. Ibuprofen, if you tolerate it, you know, without GI effect or don't have chronic kidney disease, is also a very good option. You can take both of them even. Um, and, you know, some people just like aspirin. I don't personally recommend it. Um, but all three of those medications are safe with the vaccine. You can even pre-treat before you get the shot and then just plan on taking one or some combination of those medications for 24 or 48 hours to help suppress, um, you know, what can be somewhat unpleasant side effects. So the fact that this person got, like, worse symptoms again after the vaccine is not couldn't, I mean, couldn't that be a sign just like the long-haul COVID systems that the body just doesn't know how to handle this? Well, our body... And, and that the vaccine might actually not be working very well? No, I don't think we can surmise that it's not that it's that the vaccine's not working very well. Our body doesn't know how to handle it, which is why we get so sick from this, right? What, what kills us from COVID um, is our body's own sort of overreaction, so to speak, um, the cytokine storm and this sort of overdrive immune response to a novel virus that we don't have any immune immunity to. That's what makes people acutely sick. And unfortunately, I think that plays a role in long haul COVID. What what this what your family members reacting to um, in terms of getting the shot and doing you know, less well or having these symptoms come back is that immune system firing up and coming back online in a controlled, induced way from the vaccine, um, which, you know, is natural, unfortunately, is way, the way it works for some people. You know, a lot of people have a lot of anxiety about having a reaction to the vaccine. Other people have a re anxiety about not having any reaction to the vaccine and come to me saying, I didn't have any response at all to either of the vaccines. Does that mean it didn't work or was it not handled properly? The answer to all of that is no. Um, the vaccine has been, we presume and hope, um, handled properly throughout the transportation cycle. We really just haven't seen a lot of evidence of it being mishandled, it's thawed immediately at site and administered, you know, by healthcare providers who are quite adept at this point of managing this. So don't sweat it, um, no pun intended, if you don't have a response to the vaccine. Um, but in your individual's case, um, that reaction to the first dose um, doesn't auger against getting the second dose and doesn't, I don't think there's any reasonable expectation that it would be um, dangerous to get the, the the booster shot or the second shot. All right. Thanks for the call, caller. That was, I'm sure a lot of people are wondering the same thing. I've heard sort of rumors throughout the community that uh, some so-and-so got the shot and then they got COVID and that's just really not what's happening. Well, you can get the shot and then get COVID, but you're not going to get COVID from the shot. There is no COVID in the shot. So it's it's entirely impossible to get COVID from these two vaccines or from the J&J. &J. All right, that's going to do it. We just got 30 seconds left before we're going to head back to Philo for Democracy Now! This has been the local coronavirus update for Monday, the new hour-long weekly version. One whole hour. It worked uh, with Dr. Drew Colfax and me, Alicia Bales. We'll be back next Monday for an hour at 3 o'clock. Thanks, Drew. Thank you, Alicia. Thank you, callers. Have a great week. You've been
listening to the local coronavirus update from KZYXNZ Mendocino County Public Broadcasting in Philo, California. This podcast is made possible by funding from the Mask Awareness Project of North Coast Opportunities. To hear this program live, tune in on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays at 3 p.m. Pacific Time to KZYX Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ Williton Ukiah at 91.5 FM, and in Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. Or you can hear us anywhere at kzyx.org, where you can also find out how to donate or become a KZYX member. Thanks for listening.